Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Star. Star LaBranch is a writer, content marketing specialist, and lover of digital media. At least that's one of us, because sometimes it like drains the crap out of me. <laughs> she currently lives in Virginia Beach, Virginia, with two beautiful cats and two kitties too. Uh, graduating with a second bachelor's in business management, she hopes to one day own her own business. And I mean, in the Hampton Roads area, there's so many wonderful, inspirational business women that could definitely help you get off when you're ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I am friends with um, some amazing business women and they have, they have really inspired me and shown me like, it's possible you can do this. So yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about that. I would not have had my coaching business at all, if not as long as I did, if it wasn't for some of those women and the podcast. I mean, they, women in this area really helped me get on to where I am today. So I'm really, really appreciative of that. So, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about my favorite topic. And most people are like, okay, I don't understand why this is your favorite topic. We're talking about mental health because I'm going into the mental health field when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> And as anybody has been listening to the podcast long enough, I have had my own mental health struggle. So I love um, showing different aspects and different stories because it's, it's not one size fits all. Um, so Star, I would like you to share with us what have been your mental health struggles and where did they begin? So it's really funny. I actually uh, just had an ADHD test and they gave me a packet for my mom to fill out. So, and it was, you know, information from my childhood. Like, did I have trouble paying attention in class? Did I have trouble with this or that? Did I argue with adults? Things like that. And my mom just, you know, she, she started fighting me on it. And she's like, you are the perfect child. You have no problems. <laughs> okay. That's, that's great to hear. However, that's not true. Um, so uh, my my mental health problems really kind of kicked into gear uh, the summer that I turned 20, and um, I I started out um, I I was I didn't know it at the time, but I was hypomanic um, because I have bipolar too. Me and too. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, I was I was a mess. I was I literally. I had, a, I have a very clear memory of, you know, the song from Toy Story 2 that Sarah McLaughlin sang, and it was about Jessie, the cowgirl. Yeah. And the, the, you know that song? Okay. I, that came on my uh, radio and I just started bawling and I'm like driving. I am driving and I am bawling about this song and I had to pull over so I could collect myself to finish the drive. And I was just like, wow, I don't, I don't think everybody does this. I don't think this is a normal thing people experience. But um, I actually was sent to a uh, psychiatrist and she talked to me for like 20 minutes and was like, you're fine. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I'm fine. I guess there's nothing wrong with me. And then um, uh, halfway through my senior year of college, my first bachelor's, um, things just went bad. Mm -hmm. Things went bad, bad. 
and I was all over the place. Like there, there are huge chunks of that year. I don't even remember. And, um, it finally got to everyone else had gone for winter break and I was finishing up a paper and I was like, if I don't do something about this, I will hurt myself really badly. And that was when I was, I went to my parents and I was like, I I've, I've got to get help. And, uh, about during winter break, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So how'd you take that? Cause I know, I don't know if you were like me, but when they told me, I was like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> it was really funny because I, I had been just so miserable and so anxious and out of it. And like, I was short tempered. I was snapping at people. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was just, just being alive was a completely miserable experience. And mm -hmm. when they told me I had bipolar, I was kind of like, at least now I can treat it. And then about two days later, I was like, Oh fuck. Like <laughs> it, it sank in. And I was like, I have a, a severe lifelong mental illness that I will always have with me no matter what happens. And I was just like this, you know, and I was, I was 22 at the time. So, or 20, 21, 22, somewhere in there. And, uh, I was just like, this isn't fair. Why did this happen to me? Um, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards just, Oh, I was, I was not a happy camper. I wrote lots of really, really sad poetry about it. So many <laughs> sad poems and just, you know, cause I didn't understand it and I didn't know much about, I, I didn't know much about it to be perfectly honest. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, like I, the only thing I knew about bipolar was that it was bad. And yeah, or they make it out to be bad. Like uh, society does. It's really, yeah, exactly. exactly. That was my only impression of it. Yeah. And then when, you know, I got diagnosed with it, I was just like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Just throw your hands up, middle fingers. Like, you know, I was like, I didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I, you know, for the longest time I thought I had depression and anxiety and then the psychiatric nurse practitioner comes at me with this diagnosis and I'm like, no, like I wrapped my head around like depression and anxiety. And now you want to come at me with this shit? Like, no, but now I'm happy because you, like you said, you can get it treated. So how did the treatment play out for you? Cause I know some, for some people it's like, you know, takes time to adjust to meds and find the right one and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it took, um, it took a long time for me to get on the med, right med cocktail, and that was probably because they start you on the kind of like the lowest dose of the most, you know, innocent drug, and then yeah. they have to, you know, when that doesn't work, they have to move you up to something else and move you up to something else, move you up to something else. Well, seven years later, I am on like what they call the heavy hitters, and um, that finally worked. And yeah. I was, you know, very happy. I'm, I'm very happy with the, the med cocktail that I'm on. And I feel like, um, you know, I can, I mean, I still have good days. I still have bad days. I still have anxious days. I still have days where I'm just like, I don't know what's happening right now, but you know, there, there's still days like that, but overall I feel like I can handle it. And that's like, that's the big thing. Just feeling like, when you encounter a problem, it's not like complete and total meltdown. I will never recover. This has ruined the entirety of my life. Yeah. Well, they say that trauma 
or even high stress situations can actually trigger the bipolar too. So the reason that I went to see a psychiatric nurse practitioner was because I was literally spiraling out of control with my husband being gone and solo parenting and doing all of the things and all the things that were going on. And they said, that's probably why I hit such a like out of control portion is it went so long where I could handle it because I wasn't under extreme stress or, you know, going through trauma. Do you see any trauma in your life or high stress situations that may have triggered you to go into the hypomanic stage that you were in? You know, I, I do. Um, you know, as a child, I experienced, um, uh, sexual molestation, Mm -hmm. um, when I was, uh, in middle school and high school, Um, I was bullied, uh, sometimes badly, um, you know, and, and from there, like I've, I've had a lot of different traumas, particularly with men. Um, yeah, me too. (laughs) And, um, uh, and that, that definitely like it, it does trigger it. It does, um, especially cause I like experienced disassociation. Okay. I will, when something happens, sometimes like people are like, why aren't you reacting? And I'm like, I'm just off in the clouds. I'm right. like, I'm not out even, of your body basically. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even, it's like, it's like, I'm just an extreme version of not paying attention. Yeah. Um, and, uh, sometimes, sometimes that's how I deal. And other times, you know, it's, it kind of all, it, it kind of all depends yeah. But, I, I'm a suppressor or repressor. So I suppress and repress things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, what, that's, that's how I deal most of the time. There's lots of big chunks, big chunks of my life. I don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have the same thing. Cause there's like a lot of my childhood. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny. Cause I'll be around one. Of, well, it's not funny, but <laughs> I'll be around like um, one of my parents or a family member and they'll be like, Oh, do you remember when you did this and you said that and you were in this thing? And I was like, no. And like, I have no memory of it whatsoever. Like I, and I, I'm looking at them like they're making it up and like, they have no reason to be making this up. And it's, it's very, it's very unsettling sometimes. It's very unsettling. Oh yeah. 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 No, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm like, I have a memory of when I was like two or three and then there's like nothing for like years upon years upon years. Mm -hmm. And there's like home videos and I watch them, but I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't remember ever being here or doing that. And it's so weird because a lot of people don't understand if you've never repressed or suppressed parts of your life, you went, and there's a, a difference. So if you suppress it, you can eventually bring it back up, but repression, that would take like a, the jaws of life to bring that shit back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, that's something a lot of people don't understand, but it is a natural reaction to trauma is suppression, repression. And like you said, disassociation, because when you can't stop what's happening, you kind of t- remove yourself kind of out of your body in a way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, they got you on the good med cocktails, which I think so many people don't understand. Like these medications are lifesavers for many of us. Like mm-hmm. bipolar disorder, any type is a long-term thing. It's not like short-term, like we work through the shit and it's gone. This is something that we will have for the rest of our lives and we have to treat it. 
appropriately. Now for me, my mom said when she found out, well, first when she found out about my diagnosis, she tried to change the subject and didn't want to hear about it. But when she got her head around it, she was like, oh, we always used to just say that's just Megan. Now, did your parents have a similar reaction where they could see back to when you're like younger and be like, oh, that makes sense now? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. Cause like I said, you know, my mom was just like, you were the perfect child and I had no problems with you and everything was great. And there was, there were, there were no worries or major issues. And I was just kind of like, really, really, <laughs> um, you know, to, to some extent it does make sense because like, I'm very like, uh, always very mercurial and like one minute, um, I can be you know, focused on one thing and doing one thing. And that's, you know, that's what I'm going to do. And then the next second I'm like, Oh, something shiny. And I've completely yeah. forgotten about what it was that I was doing before. So that kind of made sense. But there, there were, there were a lot of other things where everyone was just like, I don't know. Cause I had, uh, I was diagnosed with depression in high school. Mm -hmm. so I think it wasn't, it wasn't too far a jump to go from the depression to because it was just you know added the um the mania section so um i i don't think it was too surprising that i that i was diagnosed but but yeah i'm generally kind of a pretty weird person so i don't think many people were just like but she's so average so <laughs> yeah yeah, when my sister read the articles I sent her after I was diagnosed, because she she reacted the most perfect way somebody should, is I told her and she said, wow, I didn't know that, but I would, I want to learn more about it. I'm going to look up things so I can learn more about your disorder. That's the perfect thing somebody could say to you. Yep. Not like, oh, I'm sorry, because I'm like, this is what it is. But like, mm -hmm. oh, wow. Okay, I would love to learn more about it. Let me look things up. And she read the articles. She was wonderful about that. And she said, that is you. Like, that is, like, to a T, the, like, everything they're describing, that is you. She's like, I knew there was something different about you, but I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you have people say something like that as well? Um, I, I, I hate to say this, but when I was diagnosed, I'd been so bitchy for so long that I <laughs> lost a lot of friends. So there was no one around to really say that to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, I was so short tempered and just mm. everything set me off. Every, like the smallest thing would happen, not even a bad thing. And I'd just be irrationally angry. And like, I, I had no control. Yeah. And I didn't realize how, how I was acting or what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. I apologized for it later, but by that point it was a little too late. Right. I mean, there's you only know? so much we can do. We could take ownership of what we did and apologize and try to make amends. But I mean, now that we know we can do better going forward. I was very irrationally angry with my children all the time. Now I didn't hit them, but I screamed and yelled a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And I feel so bad now knowing why, not that there was anything I could, I knew at the time, but I was like, that's so unfair to them that I did that, but there's, I can't go back and change it. Just like you can't go back and change being bitchy or to your friends, mm -hmm. uh, but you can go forward. So how are you moving forward now that you have everything under control? And I put that in quotation marks, but you have everything under control. 
Yeah, I um I I'm very open about having bipolar disorder and I'm I'm very cuz the other thing is like I always am like checking myself and seeing am I exhibiting symptoms? Am I feeling out of control? Is something going on? And I I really want other people to help me do that. So when I tell other people and say, you know, I have bipolar disorder and if they want to know more about it, I can tell them more about it. And if, you know, they're a close friend and there's someone who can say, hey, you're acting a little out of character, you feeling all right or something like that. Um, that's, that's really, really helpful. And I'm always like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hyper aware of how I treat people because of what yeah. I've, you know, done in the past. And I'm always just like, you know, and sometimes I'll, I'll say something and like, for the next four days, I'm like, God, was that bitchy? Did, did she take that wrong? Like, did I, did I say that incorrectly? Like, you know, now I'm, I'm really, really careful about it. But, um, but also, you know, the back in college, like you, everything was life or death. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you were rude to someone once you were a rude, terrible, horrible person who was beyond redemption. Right. So, you know, things have changed as I've gotten older and people are like, oh, hey, you have this problem. You said something you didn't mean. You apologized. You said you're not going to do it again. Like you haven't done it since. That's clearly showing that, you know, this is not a part of who you are. Right. So that that kind of helps as well. I agree. And that's something I say is like, you know, people make mistakes, but they have to take ownership of it and they have to do their best to remedy the situation. But people just keep doing it over and over and over again. And, and even if they have a mental illness at some point in time, people have to say, you know what, enough's enough. Like I can't keep doing this with you. And, you know, I'm very thankful for those people like my husband who didn't give up on me, <laughs> but you know, I can look back down and be like, oh shit, I was such a toxic person. Like sometimes like, and I was manipulative to people. I hurt people like, and now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? But we could spend all day long beating ourselves up about it, but there's nothing we can do back to go back and change it. And I think the key is to keep, you know, moving forward and, and working on us. Now, have you found anybody has given you any negative pushback about your diagnosis? Because you said you're very open with it. Have you had any judgment or shame come your way? Um, definitely. And it's all been from men. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically. And um, it's usually been in the context of dating. Because mm -hmm. I'll, I'll tell someone when I was dating, I have a great boyfriend now and I love him and he's awesome. <laughs> um, but when I was dating, I... Uh, would tell someone really quickly. Cause I'm like, if you're not okay with this, this is not something I can change. You need to bail now. Right. And, um, and there, you know, there was one guy who was like, you know, I don't care about like this or that or this other thing, but I'm not dealing with this. And mm. you know, and it, I've gotten kind of bitchy responses from it, but then it's like, okay, best of luck. Have a nice life. Farewell. Yeah. I found that my diagnosis makes some people very uncomfortable. And I'm like, it's it, one, I'm the one that was diagnosed here. Okay. <laughs> like, yep, you weren't yep. diagnosed. It makes them very uncomfortable and puts them on edge and they feel the need, need to like make offhanded comments or jokes or, you know, say, you know, I have this all natural remedy that could help you instead of your medication. And I'm like, I have a 
like a chemical imbalance going on up here. <laughs> like, I don't think any essential oil is going to fix that shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, there was someone in my family whose name I'm not going to mention. Um, once told me to go off my bipolar medication and see a naturopath. And I was like, do you not understand? These drugs are literally keeping me alive. And like, she, she just didn't get it. She just didn't. And, and it, it's, it's a common thing that people will sometimes associate taking medication with weakness. Right. And like, oh, well, you have to, um, you have to take medication because of, um, you know, you're not strong enough to deal without it. You can't, like, right. you're a slave to the medication. And I'm just, that annoys me so much because there's just so many other um, issues that where like someone would be like, Oh, you have cancer. Well, you have to get chemo. Like, Oh, or, you know, exactly. And it's like, Oh yeah, I have this thing. I have to take proper medication for it or it's not going to, you know, it's just going to get worse. And like, I will be unlivable. So yeah, I don't know. I haven't had too much of that, thankfully, but I've had, I've I've definitely had enough. (laughs) One person is too many. I agree. And I mean, what I try to tell people, I was like, I really did try all of the natural remedies out there in the fucking world. Mm-hmm. I did. And none of them helped. Why? Because I did not have depression. <laughs> so trying to depre- d- treat just depression, that didn't work. I mean, it would help a little bit, but there's so much more going on there. And I think it's so dangerous that people in society who have no idea anything about mental illness is are willing to say, Oh, this, this treatment here, this will help you because my upline somewhere said it would. Yeah. Yeah. It's so dangerous. It is absolutely. And I just, I feel so bad for the people who take on that shame and that guilt and think I have to keep trying these natural remedies because that's the only way to go and I can't take medication because mm. it's just, it's not going to get better. It is yeah. just not going to get better. And you shouldn't have to hit rock bottom to get the help you need. Exactly. And medication has been life changing for me. I feel like a whole nother person. Like I have the same personality, but I feel like, like you said earlier, Oh shit. I don't have to struggle to get out of bed today. Like mm-hmm. I don't have to force myself to human. That's amazing. It is. It, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. So you found the same thing where there was days that you just tell us, I mean, expound a little bit about on in college. So people might be listening to us and they're like, I still don't get it. Like, and of course how it showed up in me and how it showed up in you are, are two different things, but you know, share with us a little bit more about how bipolar was showing up in you before you got that diagnosis. So people can kind of understand oh okay because i've shared on the podcast and i'll link it in the show notes my diagnosis and the things that were showing up for me but i mean again it's it's a spectrum so it looks different for everybody yeah exactly um so gosh in college like what i think what had happened was the summer before my senior year i had gone to a study abroad program and i was as hypomanic as i has ever, had ever been i was so happy and i didn't realize what it was i thought this is how i am this is how i'm meant to be i'm meant to be this happy and i have finally achieved my oneness with the universe or something like that and then when i came back to college and started college in the fall for my senior year 
I just crashed mm. and I was short tempered. I was irritable all the time. I had a hard time getting out of bed. I was, um, Oh gosh, there, there was just, there was so much stuff going on. I was, I was having a hard time reading and studying. Like I would, um, I, I could read like a paragraph and then have no idea what it said and read it again and have no idea what it said and then do it again and just no idea. Like, and I was trying so hard and none of it was sinking in. And so that was really frustrating academically because I always try to push myself for good grades and stuff like that. Right. And, um, it was super frustrating to not be able to do what I used to do. And also like I kept having thoughts about hurting myself and I kept having really negative thoughts and intrusive thoughts and intrusive thoughts are when, um, for me, they're usually just random, like example, like there, I walk by an open window. I just think I could throw myself out of that window. Oh my I'm like, God. Yeah. Or you're driving down the road and you're like, if yeah. I just drove off this road and there's a cliff right there, I just die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just things like that. And they're just constant and you, you have no control over them. You can't be like, I'm going to stop thinking these thoughts now because they just come and I still get them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, after this long, you know, I'm 33 now I was diagnosed over 10 years ago. Like I, I kind of just adjusted to them. Um, yeah. but I was constantly having those. Um, I, Oh, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about hypersexuality. <laughs> yes. I had that too. <laughs> yes. Um, so <laughs> thankfully, mostly the only victim of my hypersexuality was my vibrator. So I went through about two packs of batteries in four months. And these are the big packs I shop at Costco. And, um, so that was, and then I got into a kind of hookup ish relationship with someone yes. at another school. And, and it was like the entire time, like I had a, like a visual disassociation when we were together and like, it was weird and it was freaky and I hated it. And I was still like, but I need to see him again because I need to have sex with him again. Right. And I was just like, why, why is this, why is this a thing? Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that. And, you know, I'm really glad I didn't, um, it wasn't worse because I really felt like it could have been worse because I didn't have like all the time to go out and seek out relationships with random strangers. I'm sure they would have been. But it, they are random strangers because I did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it. Um, but you know the oh hypersexuality was not fun, and it's funny because that's the one thing where like someone, and this is probably about seven eight years ago. Someone was like, "Oh, that must be awesome. You just want to have sex all the time." And you're like, "No, you feel like you're going to die if you don't have sex. Mm -hmm. It is miserable. It's like mechanical to." a very weird extent and it's not romantic. It's not enjoyable necessarily. It's not like fun. It's just like, it's panicky. And, um, it's, uh, it's just, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. So I had that going on, but, uh, good old vibrator took one for the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought half of the town that I was in college with, male persuasion, took one for the team. <laughs> mm -hmm. I went to women's college, so I think that's kind of what slowed my roll. 
There was like two very good sized colleges right in the town that my college was at. So yeah. And then there was a lot of townies cause I was, I was from nearby. Um, so there's a lot of townies that hung out at the bars. Yes. They, lots of them took one for the team here. <laughs> yep. yep. And that's something you don't really see discussed all that much. And that's something mm -hmm. that like people don't realize you know, is a side effect, first of all, and is yeah. not a good thing. No. I mean, I've had a lot of people who are like, well, promiscuity is kind of normal when you're in college. And I was like, I, w I was very promiscuous in a very short period of time. So let's talk like maybe like a year. I was racking up like 30 encounters in a year. And, that, and then, of course, I had a vibrator too. But like 30 people in a year. That's a lot of fucking people. Yeah, because also it, part of it is um, the, it can, you know, it can be dangerous to hook up with people who you don't know. And, yeah. you know, because like um, I have a friend with bipolar and she told me she went to um, a dude's house like right after meeting him. And I was like, that sounds very dangerous. Are you okay? Yeah. And like, yeah. And it's like that. And, but you, you don't care. You're just like, I, this is great. This is awesome. I'm getting what I want. And this is, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. Right. And, um, and if you were in a better mind state, probably wouldn't have been making the same decision. Right. I had barely any sexual partners up until that one year. <laughs> <laughs> then it was a lot in one year and I'm like oh my gosh why did you but it was like that need that you described like anytime I went out to the bar which was a lot um anytime I went out to the bar I felt that I had to bring somebody home or I had to go home with somebody like it felt mm -hmm. like I couldn't end the night and not have that and, mm -hmm. and I don't know about you but binge drinking was one of my symptoms as well like I didn't I wasn't I didn't have alcoholism, but I would binge drink frequently. I, um, I am actually a total lightweight. So that's probably why I haven't binge binge drunk because it happens so fast. Yeah. Um, but I, I did develop a bit of an issue with alcohol. I wouldn't, it wasn't full blown alcoholism or anything like that, but I was self-medicating. Yeah. And I was definitely like, you know, things suck a bit less when I feel buzzed. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened. And, um, you know, I, I still like now, like, even though I didn't have a huge problem with it, I'm just like, I just kind of stay away. Like I'm very much like if I have a drink, that's, yeah. that's it for the night. Well, with my meds, my psychiatric nurse practitioner says you can have one or two in a night and that's it. And I pushed it and I had like three or four like a couple weekends ago, and now I know why she said only one or two. One, I felt like shit the next day, which I never, I mean, that wasn't a lot to feel like shit. But two, I passed the fuck out. Like, oh, wow. Because <laughs> like, my meds make me drowsy. Like, oh. well, can make me drowsy. So, like, they don't normally make me drowsy, but add alcohol to that. Like, I sat down on my couch and was out cold. Like, mm -hmm. I woke up to my oldest daughter walking downstairs, and she's like, how much did you drink? And I was like, <laughs> not that much. <laughs> like, I yeah, don't know what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. Drinking on meds is always a weird experience, especially because like I was on, they put me on an anti-anxiety medication and they're like, um, if you drink while you're on this, it could slow your breathing and you could die. And I was like, all right, not drinking anything, even in the vicinity of that medication. Like that was like very clear, no drinking on that one. But, um, 
you know, they generally say, you know, try not to drink on any psychiatric medication, but right. then you, you, you're a human being and you can't do that. So and society just, deems alcohol to be part of everything basically. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's, it, I mean, it's all about like, you know, if you're going to experiment, do it very slowly and be very careful. And if the first sign of something going wrong, just turn that bus around. Right, right. Yeah. So that was my, I went and saw her last week and I was like, so that thing you said about only having one or two drinks, I believe you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. She's like, I'm glad you learned your lesson. And she told me how she had one patient. She didn't name him or give any identifying factor. So I don't know who this person is. She said, don't be like my one patient who took his meds while drinking a bottle of wine. He ended up in the hospital. I'm like, who downs their meds with wine? (laughs) Okay. Confession. I've done that before. (laughs) (laughs) Did you end up in the hospital? No, no. (laughs) I, I was on, um, God, I don't remember the meds I was on, but I was not on the heavy hitters at that point. And um, it was, this is many, many years ago. And I had like um, a glass of wine. I was like, oh, I've got to take my pills. And I was like, I'll just take my pills with the wine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank goodness you didn't end up in the hospital. That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Cause there, there's, there's no explaining off that one. Like, mm, I would have heard about that for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. No, I, I told my husband, I'm like, I don't even feel like drinking anymore now that I'm on these meds. Like before I felt this, like you said, need to numb it out. Like you didn't mm-hmm. like at the end of like a hard week or like a stressful week, especially when with him being gone lately, like at the end of a week, I'd be like, I need, I need a drink. Like I need a drink. Yeah. Um, but now I'm just like, eh. like if we go out to dinner or something, I'll have a couple of drinks. But other than that, I, I give a shit less, honestly. I just yeah. don't feel the need anymore for any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I used to even like, I didn't just binge drink. I used to binge eat as well, like as a, a way of self-soothing. And so that was something that I struggled with because I, I kept doing it. Yeah. I, yeah. Would, I would go to the store for grocery shopping and I would get a bag of those Dove chocolates and that would be my tree and it'd be gone in like two days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still struggle with binge eating and it's so hard because it works and it's not yeah. illegal and it's easily accessible. And like, if I'm feeling anxious or stressed or just unhappy, I can be like, you know what? I can just go to this nearby place, grab something to eat. I can just go to the fridge. I can just go to the cafe at work and, and it works and I'll feel better. And I'm like, it's so, it's so irritating because it works. Yeah. And I still like, I, I still am trying to find other coping mechanisms and go through different things to figure out something that's not, that's not food. Yeah. And the hard thing about food is you need food to survive. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if you had a, you know, if you are an alcoholic or you're struggling with um, problems with alcohol, you can abstain from alcohol. You cannot abstain from food. No, no, you cannot. So that, I mean, that for me was the hardest thing. I just don't have it in my house. So, because if I do, I'm eating it. Like that's, it's, it's gonna, I'll get, I will even now with the medication, I'll get a little stressed because I mean, you still experience stress when you're on medication and it doesn't go away. I'll, 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 and that's my, it's, it's an automatic process in my brain 
So like if there is something in this house and I feel stress, I'm going to go eat it. Like something that, cause you don't want to stress eat a salad. Um, no, no, like, no one stress eats salad. <laughs> no. So like, you know what I'm talking about? Like if it's some kind of like yummy junk foodish, I'm going to eat it. Like it's just going to, it cannot be in the house cause I will fucking eat it. Um, <laughs> and, in, and because like our entire lives, we build up these habits of coping um, my one professor says defense mechanisms. I'm like, it's unhealthy coping mechanisms. We build these up over time to where it's hard to break that habit because it's been there so long. And like you said, it works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you had, you've had a food coping mechanism a little bit with the alcohol. Was, was there anything else? Oh, and the disassociation, was there anything else that you've done to, to cope before or after the medication? Um, one thing I, I, I still kind of do is I get projects. Like I have to keep my mind busy. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just do projects and I accomplish a lot of them. It's not like I pick things up and never touch them again, but, um, I, uh, I will just decide on something. Like I have a couple in the air right now, but, um, you know, I'll decide, okay, for this holiday, everyone's going to come to my house and I'm going to cook this and the tablecloth is going to look like this and I'm going to have place cards for everybody and I'm going to clean up this and I'm going to clean up that and I'm going to make sure the cats are, you know, presentable and, you know, I, I get my, my little, my little project going and, um, and occasionally it backfires because sometimes I pick up way too much and yeah, I can't juggle everything, especially because it's, it's that classic thing when you're feeling manic, you just want to do everything and you want to arrange everything and you want to pick everything. You and then big audacious the, goals. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Big goals, big goals. And then when you feel depressed, you're just like, I can't even put on socks right now. How I'm am I going so unmotivated. to like, uh, accomplish this goal? I don't even want to brush my teeth or exactly. my hair or go to the bathroom. <laughs> Yeah. Take a shower. Could I get it? Depends. Yes. (laughs) I mean, literally I've had days like that where I'm like, could somebody go buy me depends? And then I could just stay in this bed for all day. Mm -hmm. Just pee in the depends. Exactly. (laughs) It would be kind of gross. It never happened, but it was thoughts that came through my head. But yeah, those big audacious goals. Do you um, find yourself a perfectionist? Cause I, I am a perfect I have a struggle not to be a perfectionist. Oh gosh. I, you know, it's really weird. Sometimes I'm like, I will get this right. I will get everything perfect. I will earn 100%. And other times I'm like, you know what? This is good enough. Fuck the rest of it. (laughs) So sometimes I have it, but not, I wouldn't say that's a primary trait for me. Yeah, it is definitely a primary trait for me. I mean, I want to say it's gotten a little bit better since the medication, but it's still there. I think because it's hardwired in me since I was a kid, like, you know, childhood programming, like I was expected Mm -hmm. to act and be a certain way. Um, And if I fell out of grace, uh, my parents would kind of criticize me, most especially my father. So I think that's part of it. But part of it is like, like you said, in those hypomania states, I would set like big audacious goals. And I would say, I'm going to do this and this and this. And then I come out of it. Like one time I was, I got certified as a PIO instructor. (laughs) I wanted to be a personal trainer. Uh, 
there was something else that happened. And my husband was like, you can't stick to anything. Like, so when I wanted to go back to school to be a therapist, cause I wasn't diagnosed yet. He was like, I'm so scared. You're going to start school and be like, fuck this shit because you do that all the time. And I was like, no. And I mean, I'm on the meds now and I haven't had a hypomania, um, episode since, but I still want to be a therapist, <laughs> <laughs> but I would do that. I would said, like you said, like these, <laughs> these things that you're just like, you look back and you're like, why, why the fuck is that important? But you know, I was thinking about it the other day and like, you know, some, someone was criticizing me for something I started and didn't finish. I don't even remember what it was. It could be anything, but, um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like, you know, that's, that's a part of life. And like you go through phases sometimes and like people who don't have mental health issues go through phases. And that's why it's fun to look back on like old photos. You remember like, Oh, do you remember when you wore your hair like that? You had that phase where you had that haircut. You tried that flannel shirt around your waist. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It was the latest style, darn it. Um, but like, you and I don't think there's anything wrong with going through phases and like right Right. now I'm learning how to play the ukulele and like I love it and I practice like almost every day and I'm in a ukulele part two class I graduated from part one and um you know and it's great and you know can I say a year from now I'm still gonna be playing ukulele I don't know I have no idea I could put it down and never pick it up again that is an option but it's an option that it's something that I do continue with. And, you know, even if I don't, like, hey, I learned the skills and I learned how to play a few songs and I had a good time and I had fun and I, it was very calming for me. So what's wrong with that? No, I think yours were a lot more therapeutic than mine were. Mine were expensive and... Oh, yeah. No, I've been there. And never... (laughs) never panned out. There was not like ever like a, like when I, I actually, before this airs, there'll be an episode where I'm talking to somebody who is a fitness coach the same time I was. And, you know, I made the connection that I, when I first got into fitness, I was balls to the wall, like, but like calorie restriction, working out, like all the things they tell you to lose weight. And I lost a ton of it. But the problem is with the bipolar is I, like held on like a death grip and I got so small. My husband was scared for my health. And because like I was in a state where like I set that big audacious goal and I just did not let it go. Um, even when it was hurting me like Mm -hmm. physically. And I think that can be where it goes dangerous. Now learning the ukulele, that's a fun goal. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I can definitely see, um, see myself in the dangerous goal, um, in sometimes in my past romantic relationships where, you know, there was one, um, where I was in complete unrequited love. This guy did not care if I lived or died. And I was absolutely just head over heels in love with him. And, you know, I made it my mission to, to figure out how to make him love me. And like, I got, it, it got obsessive. Yeah. It got obsessive. And he was like, it was really, <laughs> he was flattered and he was like, he just loved the attention. So he didn't ever tell me, Hey, this is inappropriate. You need to stop or right. anything like that because he just thought, Oh my God, I'm so hot. This girl is in love with me and I'm just so gorgeous. And, um, and you know, it, it kind of like destroyed me a little bit 
to go through that experience. Yeah. Well, Star, we have come to the end of our time. I know it goes by really fast. So if there's something we didn't cover or something you would like to leave the Inspired Women audience with, what would you like them to know? Because we've covered all sorts, like how you got diagnosed with bipolar disorder and you know you finding your right medications and the different symptoms and how you are today. What would you like them to know? Um, I would just like to say that there's absolutely no shame in having a mental health problem and getting treatment is not a bad thing. It's the greatest thing you can do for yourself and owning that you have an issue and you will work with this issue and you will become a better, stronger, more amazing person than you already are. That's valuable. That's what you need to focus on. I agree. And I want people to know you applied to come on this podcast before I got my diagnosis. So it's kind of ironic. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh my God. I didn't, because I applied back in like what, November? Yeah, it was like last, it was way before I got my diagnosis. So when you, <laughs> <laughs> so it's very ironic that you applied to come on and share your mental health journey. And you didn't even mention what diagnosis you had in your application. And then I believe when I got diagnosed, you reached out to me and said, Hey, I have the same diagnosis. And I didn't even put two and two together until like we're talking on this episode. And you're like, yeah, I have bipolar two disorder. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is that is quite a coincidence. It is, but I love it because we were able to show that it can be a little different for everybody mm-hmm. and that there's no shame. And by the time this comes out, and it will probably be the podcast graphic that, or no, your face will be on the podcast graphic, but it will be a picture I've probably shared by the time this comes out is I just did a photo shoot with my photographer and we have several pictures where I'm holding my medication in my hand and one where I'm holding the medication bottle because I want to show like there is no shame in the fact that I'm taking medication to take care of my mental health. And I think that's one thing I want people to take away. And you've said it multiple times in here and you said it right here at the end is there is no shame in take care of your mental health. However, you have to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Star, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me on. This was so much fun. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.